Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we have requested the presence of the Holy Spirit among us today. We know you're always among us. But Father, sometimes we, sometimes I wonder if we're really ready for your presence. Are our hearts really prepared for what you want to do with them, with us, with our hearts? Because your work is radical renovation. So Father, I pray that we didn't just sing something that we didn't mean. I pray that we meant every word of it because we need you. We need your presence. We need the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We can't do what you command us to do without your presence, without your power. So I pray, Father, that our hearts will be open to receive and welcome what you have for us today. And that, too, is the work of the Holy Spirit. May your word sharpen our lives. May we enjoy promise and move out of wilderness, I pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, dare I ask the question of the hour. Are you enjoying peace? Are you? You say, well, how can, can I be enjoying peace? world's a mess. Perhaps even before this sermon ends, Russia will invade Ukraine. The capital of our country just spent a weekend in turmoil. Uncertainty is all around us. There's fears about our jobs, about our finances. Frayed friendships, relationships. On this family day weekend, there's family turmoil, family division. We find ourselves in a wilderness of fear and anxiousness. And you're asking a question, am I presently experiencing peace? Hearts are sinking, heads are rolling. Many of you are saying, I was fine until all of this. And I'll be fine when we get out of this. Likely not. Truth of the matter is, if you aren't enjoying peace now, nothing will change that unless you embrace what Christ really has for you. Are you aware that peace is a, I almost said a fringe benefit of Christianity? It's a major benefit of Christianity. It's what Christ has promised to us. Would you open your Bibles with me, please, to John chapter 16 today? John chapter 16. You say, yeah, I know, I know about the peace of God. I, I know that um, when Jesus was born here on earth, the angels sang a story, sang a great worship song, glory to God in the highest and on peace, and peace on those, to those on whom his favor rests. Yeah, I know about that peace. Of course I know. Peace is one of the great benefits promised and gifted us and an intended consequence of the incarnation of the Son of God. And I know about that. Heard about it. Yeah, that, that's, but that's Christ's salvation peace. That's peace with God. The peace I'm talking about is what Jesus said 
when he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. John 14, 27. As a benefit of the peace with God in salvation, this is now what Jesus is talking about is not peace with God. That's that's the starting point. This is the peace of God, which is to benefit our lives. It's It's to follow us all the days of our lives. The peace that Jesus is referring to is that after reconciliation with God. Now what? Now I get the gift of the peace of God. Both are meant to characterize the lives of believers. And in many cases, vast majority of Christians are only experiencing the peace with God, but not experiencing the peace of God in their lives. So what about you? In John chapter 16, Jesus is delivering his farewell address. Farewell addresses are always filled with the most important last things you want to tell someone. So it would probably benefit us to know what Jesus said to his disciples before Calvary. I want to look at verse 17. I want to read to the end of the chapter with you. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does, the, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? By the way, Jesus always knows what you're thinking and talking to people about. He reads all of your texts. He sees all of your Facebook messages. He hears all of your phone calls. Just a spoiler alert in your life. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Or we would only have people with one child. So with you... Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name, I, will, I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. In other words, he's saying, listen, the Father, I don't have to get in between the Father. Yes, I will take your messages to the Father, but I'm not, uh, you have a relationship with the Father. He loves you. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Now, this next phrase I think Jesus really said, and it's probably uh, in your margin, do you now believe, Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. In other words, he says, you know, you guys think you believe, but your faith is pretty limited. 
because you're all going to scatter. You're all going to leave me alone. You're all going to run away. All this bold talk and brave talk, no. Then he says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Please, can you read that to yourself with understanding and clarity? But take heart. I have overcome the world. The context, as I said, is the farewell discourse. The farewell discourse starts in chapter 13, verse 30. And it starts after Judas is excused and leaves because this is family promises and Judas wasn't in the family. And all that Jesus was about to say and to promise and to offer to the disciples was for them and for us who know Jesus as our Savior. And this farewell discourse, the whole discourse, I believe, and as do other scholars, was that they might experience peace and be able to, in fact, take heart. They were overconfident. They had three years of extensive ministry, one-on-one discipleship community with Jesus every day. So, So discipling community leaders, if you're seeing less than the kind of progress you're hoping to see, do not be discouraged. Jesus spent three years with these guys every day, 24 hours a day. And they were still lacking and struggling. Take heart in your own life. They were still confused. They were weak in faith, weak in commitment, overconfident, not going to handle the pending departure of Jesus very well. They had no idea what, they were, what was upon them. They were not going to handle it peacefully. Peter was going to cut off an ear of someone. They were going to be in fear and anxiousness. And Jesus is talking peace. Peace at, at a most critical time in his earthly ministry. A crisis was upon him. He was going to be roughed up and brutalized and crucified, and he's talking about peace. The promise is, my peace I give to you, 1427. My peace I give to you. Peace is a gift from Jesus to you. It's a promise and a gift. It's a gift to you. The contrast in this verse, look at verse 33. I just want to unpackage it, pull it apart a little bit for a few moments with you. There's, there's the promise, of course, is I've told you these things. I already read it to you. But notice some contrast. He, the contrast of in me versus in this world. This is not peace if things are okay. This is peace now and always. It's a promise to believers Every day of your life, every hour of your life, this is a gift of Jesus to you. The reason we are not at peace, I would submit, is because we have been relying on the state of the world around us for our peace. And Jesus made it abundantly clear, the state of the world around you will be trouble. So don't go looking there for your peace. Don't go hunting there for your peace. In me, you will have peace. It's a contrast between in me in this world. People are saying, well, when when normal comes, (laughs) my peace will come back. I already said to you, it won't come back because... There's a new COVID just waiting. We're only at Omicron, you know. We haven't reached Omega yet. And if it's not COVID, it's something else. It's your boss 
It's your health. It's a family member. He's talking here in contrast about peace versus trouble. It's a huge contrast. There's trouble and you get to have peace. Can I tell you that I don't know why I began this series because this is so convicting. Well, I know why. There are connections that are to be made in this verse that if you don't make, you'll miss the point. Do you see? He makes a connection between these things and peace. See? I have told you these things so that in me... So he's, tell, he's told us things about him that are meant to bring peace. So we're going to go hunting for these things today. A few moments. But I want you to see that connection. You, I've told you these things. When you're reading your Bible, you should always ask the question, what are these things that he's referring to? He's made another connection as well. At the end, take heart and overcome. This, this is going to require of us spiritual maturity to benefit in ways that the disciples did not initially embrace. And they weren't able to because they did not yet have the Holy Spirit. So before we get too cocky about our own lives and look at the disciples and say, oh, I would have done better than that, Really? They started to do really well too once the Holy Spirit came upon them. And so should we. We have received the Holy Spirit. We're on the other side of Calvary. We're on the other side of the resurrection. We're on the other side of the receiving of the Holy Spirit. That's what this is about. Take heart. I've overcome the world. Overconfidence, self-reliance. They were hoping on depending on Pac's strength to face the ultimate that they were about to face at Calvary. This is not talking about the absence of trouble. This is talking about the active presence of Jesus in our lives. This is a test for us. So I want to look at from these things, and there's more, no doubt. But if we have time, I want to look at seven. I think it will help you. Seven things that we can pull out of what Jesus was talking about from chapter 13, verse 30, right through to here. These, these things, these seven things, beloved, will enable you to have peace in the midst of trouble and courage to choose between Jesus and this world. In me, he says, you'll have peace. Well, in the world, you'll have COVID. Do you need any changes in your life? I know I certainly looked at this text very carefully and it spoke very, very forcefully to me. Gary Berg, in his commentary on this text, wrote this, Discipleship is about learning how to discover peace when surrounded by threat. How to possess tranquility despite those hostile to your faith. Discipleship. That's the journey we're on, isn't it? And this is it, discovering peace when we're surrounded by threats and trouble. The greatest threat the disciples thought at the time was that Jesus had now announced that he was going away, going to be leaving them, and their fear of abandonment. It says, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Verse 28. What's the greatest threat to your peace right now? For them, it was Jesus going away. They had no idea what they were yet to face. 
And he says, I've told you these things concerning life in me now and to come that you must embrace so that you'll have peace no matter what trouble is threatening you. Jesus literally is saying to them, me and my words are the key to your peace. That's it, beloved. Whatever else you hear, it's all important stuff because I'm going to pull it out of the scriptures for you, but this is it. Me and my words, Jesus says, are the key to your peace because these things are his words. So my word and me are the key to your peace. If you don't have Jesus as your savior, you, you, you don't even have a starting point for peace, okay? The sermon isn't about that, but if you don't have Jesus in your life, you can't even start this. But once you have Jesus in your life, this is a gift you must embrace. But it will depend upon you absolutely accepting and receiving and welcoming the words of Jesus regardless of how uncomfortable they are to you. So here we go. You got your water-cooled pens ready? Typing hand ready? Let's go. Peace threat number one. Turn back to John chapter 13. Peace threat number one is feeling unloved or abandoned. Perhaps you're feeling like that right now. Perhaps you're not only feeling like it, it's true. People are not loving you. People have abandoned you. What did Jesus' words, what did he teach his disciples in, Jesus, in John 13, 34 to 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love each other deeply. You want to experience peace in your life? Jesus' words are this, love one another. Not, and he doesn't say super, he, he, he makes this word he states this word deeply, not superficially. Deeply tests, tests you to the core. That's loving people regardless of their politics. That's loving your brother regardless of their opinion on this health choice or that health choice. This is loving people regardless of their views. Regardless of whether they're a fringe minority with unacceptable views. I'm one of those. Do you love me? Some of you do. Regardless of your style or your dress or your custom or your race. Isn't this what he meant? You love each other just because you're in the family of God. That's it. You love each other. And in that way, you will never feel abandoned and you will never feel unloved regardless of who abandons you because God's people will not. And didn't we learn last week about the love of God and we learned to rely on the love God has for us in this that the disciples, that the people of God love us and in so doing we experience the love that God has for us. There's no alternative to this stuff. Jesus gives it straight to us. There's no, if you, wanna, if you wanna have peace and you're not loving your brothers and sisters, it ain't gonna work. It's just not. And you can't pick and choose. Now, the disciples failed him miserably. That's why Jesus says, you're going to scatter, you're going to leave me, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. 
The Father won't abandon me. The Father won't leave me. Our mission, beloved, is to deliver God's love to one another. That's how all men will know that we are his disciples. It's our mission. It's a command. (laughs) Jesus didn't say it'd be nice if you love each other. And I understand, you know, when you're on opposite side of the politics of a situation, you can't love each other very well. I understand that. He never said that one time. This is only point one. Is it hard enough for you already? (laughs) Stop, we can't take any more. Give each other peace by loving each other. Number two, peace threat number two, trust in God and, un, and, your, and, and, and having an unknown future. Does any of us know what's going on tomorrow? Does any, do any of us know what is happening this afternoon? Oh, we think we do. Go to chapter 14. I, re- I was reading a National Post article this week entitled, Parents Overcome by Worry Over Virus. The word overcome was used. That's a a major league word. Overcome. Parents overcome by virus. We're talking about COVID virus. What a North American problem. What a privileged problem. What a first world civilized problem. Do you have any idea the number of mothers that are holding babies that have a couple of breaths left in them because they don't have any food? And we're worried about a virus that actually doesn't do anything to children, very little, basically nothing. We're losing our peace. We're all agitated. Come on. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You know, Peter has just said in verse a couple of verses before, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? I tell you before it's the morning. You'll have denied me and disowned me three times. Your bravado tonight is going to tank before the morning. So what do we need to know when our talk is bigger than our trust? Before the morning... Our life becomes more important than our loyalty to Christ. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. It's it's a trust issue. It's a trust issue. We lose our peace because we don't trust in God. And we're not, we're, we're completely convinced he can't handle the future. That you also, he says, listen, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. The worst that can happen to you guys, Peter, is you're coming with me to heaven. That's the worst that can happen. There's a place, there's an eternal place, Peter, with your name on it. I'm I'm going to prepare that place for you. The worst that can happen is you get to go to the Father's rooming house. I decided to not talk much about this point. Instead, I've decided to add it as another sermon, all right? Because I knew I would just get 
hung up here for far too long. So I tacked on to the end of this sermon series, the promise of heaven. So look forward to it. So let's just move on. Peace threat number three, a loss of intimacy with Christ. They were worried about him going away. They were concerned about him going away. They had a very tight relationship with him. But more importantly, and this is, this is our, our giant problem, they had a physical touch, presence, relationship with Jesus. And in case we didn't know, we're physical touch, in the moment, in place kind of people. And we find it most um, comforting in general to be able to touch the things around us, to be able to know what's going to happen, to be able to physically be assured of things because we're physical people. And Jesus is talking about spiritual peace. And so the thought of Jesus personally leaving, because these are guys who believe in God. These are guys who've been long before, well, in some cases, some of them were younger, but who knew God before Jesus arrived. It's not, it's not like when Jesus goes away, God goes away. The simple problem was the physical presence of Jesus right there with them was going away. And most of us, if we could take a vote, although we'd probably regret it, we would say, I'd love to have Jesus accompanying me 24-7. Physically. Sitting in the car with me, all that. Probably not. However, he is there with you all the time. I already told you this. But we're, we're tied up in this. So the, our, the, their struggle was, he's going away. What will happen to us? And many of our struggles for peace are founded right here. We can't see God, but we can see all kinds of other things like family and friends and a job and the state of the country and all of that. And we lean toward those things for our peace because we can see them. We can touch them. We think we can affect them. And so Jesus says this to them in chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Forever! The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And then he says this, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And by the way, I think he meant that two ways. I will come to you after the resurrection. And I will come to you in the Holy Spirit. And if we want to really stretch it, and I think we can, and I will come to you at the end. I'm not leaving you. I'm not ever leaving you. Didn't, didn't the commission say I, I, I'm with you always, even to the very end? I'm not, going, I'm not going away from you. The Old Testament promise of the indwelling God is now being fulfilled. It's now being promised by Jesus to them. A new way of relating to God. An amazing way of relating to God. A fantastic way of relating to God. Jesus says, it's better that I go away because now you're going to get the Holy Spirit. I could only be with you physically wherever I could be, but now I'm going to be with you everywhere and I'm going to be with all of you everywhere, even if you're scattered. Even if I'm not at church? Yes. Yes. I just want to quickly run down. The, the, the imminent gift of the Holy Spirit was a big priority in Christ's final sermon here. He was very, very enthusiastic about it. This was, a, this was a matter. Five times it's mentioned in this brief area. 
And why was he, why was he enthusiastic about this? Because we need the Holy Spirit. It will help us understand and welcome the truth. We won't have time to turn there, but in your DCs, I suggest you look at this stuff. 1 Corinthians 2, 10, and 12. Help in our understanding of God's word and our willingness to receive it, to welcome it. The provision of gifts by the Holy Spirit to enable us to carry out the mission, to give us the raw products that we need to build the new temple. Christ's presence continues with us. I will come to you, 14, 18, where I talked about that, the meaning of the Holy Spirit, the continuation of Christ's mission. How will we do the mission? Christ is going to be with you through the Holy Spirit. And that's why he could, quali- that's why he could with, with great assurance and confidence, command them, now go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, teaching them to obey whatsoever things I've commanded you. And they were concerned about this, what, what is going to happen? And so Jesus tells them the peace threat number two is to be bewildered by the sheer scope of the mission. How will we do this on our own? Jesus said, you won't be doing this on your own. Chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You guys don't have to worry about this. Followers of Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about, be fretting about, or how how am I going to have peace? You know, how can I have peace when I'm asked to come up here and be on worship team on Sunday mornings and and stand in front of all of those people? Well, Jesus says, you're not going to be alone. I'm not going to abandon you. In fact, I'm going to enable you to bear much fruit. Oh, I'm asked to pray in front of the church. How can I ever do that? I'm going to be with you. We don't need to lose our peace for anything that we're asked to do in the mission of Christ. He's promised us to bear much fruit. Abiding in Christ will enable you to produce much fruit. This is a complete relocation of the holy space from the temple, the Old Testament temple, to Christ himself, uh, Christ who lives in you. Oh yes, and peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Did you have to mention that? It's a measure of how full of the Spirit you are. Love, joy, maybe you didn't notice that peace has slipped in there too. Patience, I gotta stop, it's too convicting. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians 5. Peace is not only a gift and a command, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's evidence that you are abiding in Jesus. If you've been trying to just imitate Christianity by hanging around with Christians, Jesus says it won't work. It won't work. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh my. I was worried about this. Peace threat number five being hated and threatened by the world. Don't you hate it when they hate you? Doesn't that take your peace away? Chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Listen, the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us properly assess this world that hates us. Being hated by the world doesn't mean you have failed. Jesus was hated. They hated Jesus without a reason. It was prophesied. Psalm 35, Psalm 69. 
It's what we do with this hatred. You realize the church through our witness is putting the world on trial? That's what's actually happening. We are the standard that serves as evidence to our world that it needs to either change or it will face eternal punishment. How good a standard are we just in the area of peace alone? What, what are they noticing? How much at peace we are? Is, is our standard a measurement that the world is noting? Or are they hating us because we're jerks? There's a huge difference. The righteous behavior of the church is to serve notice, is to put the world on trial, loving each other, obeying Christ, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, resisting sin. All of this is the call in our lives. Peace threat number six, the sheer power of opposition in the majority opinion. Do you feel a little bewildered right now? Like, I don't even know what's right anymore. That can happen when there's so much happening around us and this group of people are doing this and this group of people are saying this and these people who know Christ are putting up these signs and this group are saying that. It gets really confusing and can cost you your peace. There's something very important for us to, to grab hold of here, and, and we're just about done. I'm gonna, when he, verse, chapter 16, verse 8, when the Spirit of God comes to us, this is what Jesus says, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. This is so important. The convicting work of the Holy Spirit will prevent you from making peace with this world. Jesus says this world is condemned of, by their sins, by their righteousness, their kind of righteousness, which is self-righteousness, and by their kind of judgment, which is no justice at all. And he's telling his, he's telling his beloved disciples, you're going to have trouble in this world because of the sins of this world, because of the self-righteousness of this world, and because of the judgment of this world, which is not just. And if you're going to look for peace in this world's justice, or in this world's righteousness, or in this world's behavior, you're going to be unsettled for the rest of your life. Beloved, I feel like we've been sucked into this. I feel that un unknown to us, we've been sucked into thinking that North America was good. It was modern, it's modern or postmodern, it's sort of civilized. It's contemporary, but this continent is not good. And it's been bad for hundreds of, in Canada's case, for over 100 years, and in America's case, for 200 years. Dare I say this, I think that some of us whitey people are finally getting to experience a little taste of what our Colored family people, I don't know the right terms anymore, people of color, have been facing for hundreds of years. Injustice. And Christians have been part of that. We are part of it. We're part of it now. We're part of systems that continue to sustain darkness and build it up and injustice these are the real wrongs not health inconvenience not political freedom Jesus never came to give us political freedom now look at it, I'm 
I'm a proponent of the law and of the charter. But that's the issue. It's not a Christian issue. It's a charter issue. And, and yes, I invest energy in a charter issue. That's given to us. But that's not a Christian issue. A Christian issue is, is how can we live with the peace that Jesus promised by treating each other properly? The, the greatest crime going on right now is the people that are oppressed by whatever is taking place politically or are doing without. God defends us and seeks to offend us at the same time by stating this statement to us. We have made peace with the broken systems of this world as Christians. We've been seduced into thinking that, if, that peace is found in systems that we find comfortable. Well, these systems are collapsing like a house of cards around us. Do we not see it? We see it because it was built on injustice, built on power and greed. These are not Christian things. Canada is not a Christian country. The United States is not a Christian country. We don't have a Christian country. We are the Christian country. So fight for love here. Fight for right systems here. Among us. Real justice. Real virtue. Real values. Real equality. Not worldly stuff. We must not require power and privilege for our peace. The early church had no power and no privilege. They had peace. That clock. One last statement. The peace threat is the promise of trouble. <laughs> None of us want to hear Jesus say, in this world you will have trouble. You. The people I love, he says. The ones I love the most, you're going to have trouble. That's a threat to my peace. It's a threat to your peace. Jesus states this to them in verse 22. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And look at, and no one will take away your joy. Do you know what these two verses, verse 22 and 33, promise us? No one can take away your joy or your peace. Only you can. If you aren't enjoying peace or you aren't enjoying joy right now, it's because you took it away from yourself. Because you were already promised trouble. And Jesus says, in trouble, your joy will not be taken away from you, neither will your peace be taken away from you because you are in me and you have my words. So if you are not enjoying joy and peace, it's on you. Entirely. No one can take away your joy or peace as long as you have the courage to embrace the things Christ has told you. The source of your peace is Jesus, not the things of this world. And he's overcome the world, not overthrown it, by the way, because he sure can do that. And he will one day. Overcoming the world is the continuation of Christ's mission, Christ's way, and victory is guaranteed. When the disciples were on the, in the storm, Jesus said to them, take heart, have courage. I'm with you. Relax. When the apostle Paul was about to face a Roman trial in Acts 23 verse 11, it says there that Jesus came and stood by him and said, take heart, have courage. Beloved, in this verse, Jesus is standing with us this morning and saying the very same thing. In this tumultuous weekend in Canada, take heart, have courage, enjoy your joy. Don't let anyone take away your peace. 
because I have overcome the world. The world can't stop what Jesus has already done and is doing in your life. Take heart. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your truth. Well, for me, this, this, was, this was tough stuff this week to grab hold of and to be convicted over and to realize, oh God, you want so much better for us, so much better for me. Joy and peace, experience of embracing Jesus and the gift of peace. Get out of the malaise of anxiousness and fears and enter into the promise of peace. Lord, I pray that for us. I pray that for those here, those listening. Please, Lord, please cause us to be willing to receive this because it's our fault if we don't have it, not yours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Beloved, please do not let your peace depend upon Jesus fixing Canada. He's not going to. Because this world is not our home. This is why Jesus said, have courage. Why did he say that to us? This is going to be a mess. We're going to live in a mess. Have the courage, he says, to trust that I have overcome the world. And that I will look after you. Trust that what I have done for you, I will continue to do in you. That's where peace is found, in Jesus. Don't let Satan's world rob you of your peace. Live saved, beloved. Live saved. Our Father, dismiss us with your blessing. It is well with the souls of those who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and who've been brought into this family that we might enjoy joy and peace that cannot be taken away from us. Thank you, Jesus. We trust you. Give us the courage that we need to trust you in this in the midst of trouble, for Jesus' sake, amen.